Hello and welcome to What We Don't Talk About, a podcast that runs towards the difficult conversations we all struggle to have. In it, we explore the experiences you might go through and the explanations that can help you understand them. I'm Alice Sowerby and I co-host the podcast with Kerry. I'm incurably curious about what it's like to be a human and the reasons why our experiences are the way they are. I work in tech and I've held leadership and management roles across a wide range of organisations. And I'm Kerry Newton-Sarganar, an agile professional, coach and training neuroscientist with a passion for brains, books and tea. I love a nerdy look at why we do what we do on a behavioural and neuroscientific level and then exploring how we can do better for ourselves and for the folks around us. This is our first series of four podcasts in which we explore some of the challenges of being a first-time manager. Hey, Kerry. Hello, Alice. This is the second second podcast, if it goes out in order. If not, we'll just edit the spin out. (laughs) So um, so what are we talking about today, Kerry? Today, Alice, um, we're going to talk about deadlines um, and the enforcement of deadlines and how that affects uh, how that affects people, how that affects the work that they produce, how that changes how they show up. Yeah, it's something that that is the bane of all our lives, I think, in work. Um, And as a as an as an IC, as a lot of people I know call them ICs, individual contributors. Um, yeah, we're always having deadlines imposed upon us by other people. And then as middle managers, I suppose we might describe it, we're being told to use deadlines as a tool. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes as a pretty blunt tool, sometimes it's the only tool. It's definitely the tool of choice, it seems to me, in, in the world of work. I don't know what your experience is. Yeah, well, having worked uh, for a number of years in Scrum, Scrum is a series of you know, tiny, potentially really painful deadlines, one after the other in a never-ending stream of deadlines. Yeah. So. Yeah, I've worked in Scrum. And, yeah, I've never known the people within the teams to really love Scrum, and I think that's one of the reasons mm. why. And maybe we don't want to get into it. <laughs> dive onto Scrum. There's plenty of chat about that already out there. But... Um, but yeah, we are. We are certainly are often asked to use deadlines as a motivating factor, and um, it would be good. It would be good to to talk a little bit about what it's like to have to work to a deadline, and what it is that you're really doing to people mm-hmm. when you put deadlines upon them. And I know from from my point of view, I, you know, I could talk about times when I've tried to do that, or times when I've been uh, subjected to it and you know how in what ways it works and in what ways it doesn't work um, and then we can definitely explore I think some of the neuroscience behind it is fairly well understood as, as far as I know in terms of like how the brain behaves under different types of pressure mm. so maybe um, maybe I'll start off just by saying a few times when <laughs> when I think deadlines maybe have helped um, because I think that's more the exception than the rule in, in my sort of experience mm. um, the, the work that 
the work that we do often. I mean, I work in, in tech, and I know you work in tech a lot. Um, and the work we do is often unique every time. And it, it, you know, we're never solving the same problem twice. We might be solving the same category of problem, maybe. Um, but oftentimes the work is really quite novel and, and to really understand the work is almost impossible because the, the only description of, of the work is the work. So it, it's quite difficult to um, accurately know how long things are gonna take. And, and with the world, with the, with the way work is for us, it, we're often not fully protected from other things that are going on in the organization. You know, we're, we're also not machines, so it's also difficult for us to know what our performance will be over time. And so to have deadlines um, by and large can just be quite an inex it's in it's an it's a tool to try and make something that's inexact into something that's in that is exact and that is usually quite stressful and difficult and not successful times when i have seen it be useful is where things like when i've been in startups and it's been um you know you've had a, a founder or someone who's who's really driving forwards and we do we often used to do sort of event driven development and I don't mean event in a programmatic sort of software development sense I mean yeah we've literally got to go to a conference and launch something or yeah. you know some kind of thing coming up and there's a big push towards it and people generally respond reasonably well to that and they don't tend to mind putting in extra time and so on but I, I do think it um when it becomes the norm it becomes very unhealthy because you can't cope with that consistently all the time um yeah so what, what do you what do you what's your sense of um of that and, and how do you think that relates like what does the what does the neuroscience say yeah so there's there's a few things there so one of the things about deadlines um and the thing i think that makes it more or less effective as motivator um, and also, as uh, so, you know, mentioning Scrum earlier, the thing that means that people can come back for more and are willing to come back for more and are engaged with and enjoy the process is the difference in how the deadline is framed. So we can either frame the deadline as the point at which we deliver a wonderful thing. We're all really looking forward to it. Um, you know, the company is really excited to see this. So there's a sense almost of um, at the point of delivery, there's a general feeling of reward and gain. Um, and so this is, um, you know, a, a good thing happens or, you know, the bad thing, the stress of the event, uh, the, the, the events leading up to the deadline they stop so you know this this then reinforces this idea of um, you know of wanting to work towards this wanting to deliver so you know you get more motivated behavior towards achieving that deadline and the opposite of that is the idea that there's some threat that's carried with missing the deadline so, you know, if we don't deliver on time, then the team is going to look bad, your jobs are at risk, we won't get this bonus. So there's, you know, there's some kind of threat that's carried with, you know, potentially missing the deadline. Um, yeah. And, you know, and that doesn't have to be there for the, when it's framed as a reward, you know, there doesn't have to be an underlying threat. It can just be 
you know the the framing can just be on all the good things or the framing can be on the thread and the interesting thing there was um some interesting studies done about the responses to rewards and versus punishments so reward where you know, the yeah. good thing happens the punishment where the bad thing happens um, and people respond much more to the threat uh, to the threatening side of things so it actually has more of a motivating effect um, particularly when the labor or the work is you know, manual in kind the problem is that works in a short-term scenario as a one-off or when the work that you're doing is physical. The problem is when it's a repeated event, then it turns into something that, that essentially, it, it turns into chronic stress. So this has all sorts of really negative effects um, on the individuals, on the team, on motivation, on morale, because you're constantly trying to avoid the threat um, you know, even though to begin with, that was a great motivating factor over time, that has a huge number of health uh, impacts that are really quite dangerous um, and is something that then leads to burnout um, and depression, anxiety. All of these you know, really undesirable factors that mean that everybody ends up going off sick or quitting. So from a neuroscientific perspective, we have a neurotransmitter called acetylcholine and one of the things that uh, that we we've we've seen acetylcholine do is give us this sense of urgency so um you know if you've ever uh, if you've ever run to catch a train or you're trying to get ready for a call or an interview you know that you've got something that has to be done beforehand the feeling of urgency that you get that's the neurotransmitter acetylcholine uh, going going wild in your system and um, and that's great again for one-off or small stakes uh, low, low stakes situations the problem comes when um, you get too big a flood of, uh, of this neurotransmitter um, essentially what it does to your system is it shuts your motivation down it, it, you you essentially you retreat um, it becomes overwhelming for your system um, and uh, you stop really being able to do anything. So for anybody who's ever experienced overwhelm in the face of a really big daunting task that they were quite motivated to get started on. Um, and then when they start to investigate and either realize the full scope of the work or realize how short an amount of time that they have to get the work done. Um, and then you just sit there almost paralyzed, not able to do anything, not able to even get started. So this yeah. is when you've gone too far the other way. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, where, where have you seen that playing out in the real world? Um, yeah, it's interesting when, when you said, oh, um, you know, deadlines are essentially a form of threat. Like that, it, that's a really stark statement, isn't it? I mean, I think we all know that, but I think we often don't acknowledge it, is that there's all there's often an implied set of consequences and, and almost <laughs> when I was a high school teacher, um, I, I worked this out and I don't know where I got it from. I might have got it from a Roald Dahl book or something. I might have got it from like Matilda or something. Um, but I realised that it was much better to tell the child, um, I'm going to sound like a psychopath now, um, I don't know what I'm going to do, 
to you or with you. I will tell you tomorrow. And that that sort of um, that, that sort of delay of um, impending threat allows a lot of space for the imagination. Yeah. Um, and the, I didn't do it. Like I, I didn't just use it indiscriminately, by the way. Um, <laughs> in fact, I probably used it once, I think, with some, uh, some very overshore child. Um, and <laughs> uh, yeah, I w- you know, if we, if we suspect that there's a, a dead, you know, if there is a deadline and, and we perceive that there's some threat, the threat hasn't been um, articulated, it's very much, um, it's very much said to be inferred by the employee. What is the, the threat? And actually, a lot of times, managers don't actually have that many teeth in terms of what they can do, mm-hmm. because most employees don't get sort of paid. There's no close tracking between performance and pay. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a salary, you might get a promotion, you might get a pay rise. Uh, you, if you're even very few people even get um, paid overtime these days. So it's definitely, a, there's definitely a sense of, there is a, a threat, but it's a little bit unclear what the threat is. And you're sort of both aware of the threat, but also kind of, you know, that there isn't, a, there isn't anything really that, that the manager can do. And it's, it creates a very weird sort of sense of stress for the employee but also stress for the manager because the manager kind of knows that they don't necessarily have, there's not that much they can do to enforce the deadlines. Mm. Um, in terms of overwhelm, I think we've all experienced overwhelm um, for, for sure. Um, and reading <laughs> reading in between what you, you said, I think it, or, or to put it in a slightly more crude way, it, it sounds like when we're afraid, our brains just kind of stop working like the executive function isn't really to the mm. same quality. And uh, I can see sort of maybe, maybe with your hand there. <laughs> so, yeah, well, so it, it, it goes in a few different directions. So it depends on how much we feel we can overcome the threat. So if we feel we can, uh, we can overcome it, then we go into fight mode. If we feel we can't, but we can escape, we can get away, we stand a good chance of of surviving, we go into flight mode. And if we don't feel either of those things, that's when we go into freeze. Um, And that's what happens to your system in that that instance. It's not that that's what happens every time. It's just that when we don't think that there's, you know, when when we get that complete lack of sense of control, that's when we go into the freeze mode. So I've I've definitely noticed that, when I'm processing high emotion, um, it's much harder to uh, be logical and rational about things. Is, is that the same thing or is that a different thing? Well, so that will be another factor that's going to put your you know, put, put you under more strain, under more stress. Um, and if, you know, it's, it's a, a lot of the time, it's a combination of factors. You know, whatever's going on at home, the fact that there's a pandemic, whatever worries that that brings, plus whatever is going along at work, all of these things have the effect of reducing the capacity that you have to exercise executive function. Uh, so that's the, the the area of your brain I talked to you before about the uh, mm. the brain in the hand model. So you know the more you have to rely on the the limbic 
system and the more your amygdala has kicked in, the less access you have to that, that limbic system, um, to the, you know, to the area of your brain that, that sorts out or that, that takes care of some yeah. kind of executive function, problem solving, creative thought, decision making, um, rationality, those sides of things. Right, right. Yeah. So I, they would be the sort of the oldest evolutionarily parts mm. of it. Is that, is that a bad mm. model? Well, so it's well, it's not a helpful model. So all of the areas of the brain evolved at the same time. So if you look back to, you know, the most ancient uh, creatures with the the most simple forms of a brain, they've got all of the elements, including mm. the, uh, a very primitive version of the neocortex. It's right. just not as uh, just not as complex. Um, so as our bodies evolve to become more complex and have more complex right. needs. Um, mm. the brain evolved to become more complex with that and so emotions are they're a survival mechanism essentially they're a message that you're they're a chemical message that your brain sends to the rest of your body to tell you that some sort of a, a threat or something that's going to be really good for your survival has been detected by the rest of the system and then the emotion completely dependent on context is what you then experience as a chemical response to either promote you seeking more of that thing because it's potentially good for your survival or to stop and escape that thing because it's yeah yeah that that does make sense I think it's it's an easy and maybe slightly lazy thing to do to to regard parts of your brain as primitive etc etc because I mean the end of the day they still they have had just as long to evolve as all mm. the rest of the parts of the brain have and it's a bit like a wheel might be a very primitive invention but the wheel on the car is just as yeah. designed and modern as the rest of the car and it, it just happens to still be required for the function of the car as yeah. um as you know it, so we shouldn't be regarding our limbic system as vestigial in the sense like oh it's all we don't need it it's no function of course it still has a function it's just as useful to us yeah because we, yeah yeah because we've always had to solve problems so we've always needed that problem solving capacity we've always had to make decisions about you know stay here and consume or escape because potentially there's danger there's always a an element of needing to decide where we sit on that spectrum of, of safety and uh, and survival so that's always been needed it yeah. is just a case of, yeah, it's more complex now. All right. Um, I really like that, uh, that the little correction, because <laughs> I am definitely um, guilty of talking about primitive parts of brains and stuff like that, even though I have a degree in science, I used to teach science. Right. So that is a, is a really great um, course correction in my, my way of thinking. So let's talk about alternatives, because you know, what they tell you is, is, you know, use deadlines as a tool to get work done and to make work predictable and to keep teams focused. Um, and, you know, ultimately, um, it's, it's, a, it's quite a crude tool. And we've just discussed that it definitely has some downsides, um, or at least when done in some ways, it can, it can have more downsides than others. So in terms of alternatives, um, I mean, certainly, we, we talked a little bit about the, the role of rewards and having having something to aim for and something that has an impact that you can see the diff, the, the um, effect of 
does seem to be very motivating and maybe this is where we start to talk about intrinsic and extrinsic where where deadlines might be extrinsic and being able to see the effect of your work might be intrinsic and I think um I think I've probably answered a question I've probably asked a question that I answered just before I asked it which is <laughs> you know like how how do you build intrinsic if we think that intrinsic motivation might be more useful than extrinsic, like then what is intrinsic motivation and how do you go about cultivating that? And we've already talked about uh, a little bit about having um, things to look forward to. So being able to agreeing that there's a benefit to doing something and agreeing that we want the outcome that we're working towards. Mm -hmm. That is a good intrinsic motivator. Um, being able to do something that will make a difference to somebody else and to be able to observe that difference being made is another great motivator. Um, and I, 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 companies that have really got this right tend to do things like, um, you know, ensuring that they're shipping, if we're talking about shipping product increment, that, that we, they would be shipping something that is been, has been asked for by a customer or, or um, we know will fix an issue for users. And then they will we'll be able to, first of all, see the problem at first hand so they can identify on the human level with the people who are suffering from the problem or have the need. Uh, but then also being able to see when that change has been delivered and, and being able to hear first hand or second hand or, or, or at least in some way how that change has been beneficial to the end user. And that's that, I think, would qualify as an intrinsic motivator and we haven't talked at all about dates or deadlines mm. in that description well, yeah um, because there's a there's a hugely motivating uh benefit in the idea that we are in some way being generous so we, we love being generous and we love being seen as being generous so what you were describing there where it's less about the deadline and it's more about you know, here's somebody that is important to us and they have a problem and we can solve that problem quickly and easily and here is the solution and then we all pat ourselves on the back and feel good not only have we done a good job but we've also um, you know we've, we've also helped somebody out who needed our help and that's a brilliant feeling i'd be really interested to hear about times where you've seen that working really well in your experience and teams that you've worked with or companies that you've worked with yeah yeah i mean the the best the best times, the best ways of doing that, and the best times that I've seen doing that is when you have rapid iteration and you have access to the end user. Um, you know, so if you are developing a product and you have someone who's doing a, uh, you know, an early customer or any any customer, it doesn't have to be an early one. But times when I've noticed, when I've seen it working the best is is with new teams that are relatively unencumbered by by sort of the uh, the the. <laughs> there's, there's some of the slowness and the, and the stuff that can happen in more established companies and more established teams and products but yes if you can get that more rapid um, iteration and feedback and it's that sense of co-collaboration and, and working with the customer that's definitely been very uh, been very helpful particularly when if you are developing something that is in a new product or um, something that's really solving a business need and the customer's just as keen to get that change as you are um, then that's that's people just you can't stop them working on it they just want to you know mm -hmm. um, I wanted to actually pick on something you said a moment ago um, 
which is about feeling that you've done a good job. Uh, because I think working with engineers a lot as I do, and uh, also designers, you know, UX designers and so on, uh, and writers and like, anyone who's essentially on the front line creating and, and producing things, there's a real pride in, um, in the quality of work that people do, um, not just uh, at a sort of um, um, a very sort of granular level, but also architecturally and, and, um, and conceptually as well. I, I often have to, or I often feel like it, I want to tell people, particularly because I work a lot with um, developers, you know, developers are, are creatives. People mm. think, oh, tech. And so you're some kind of like um, nerdy, boring person who's just like, oh, I really enjoy bits and bytes. It's like, well, no, no, these people are creative. Like they're super creative. And a lot of them have multiple, you know, really sort of uh, polymath. <laughs> Can I say polymath? No, I was going to say polymathematicians. I don't think that's quite right. <laughs> Poly, they're real polymaths. Yeah. Um, and, you know, hugely, hugely creative and, and, um, and so on. And, and the enjoyment they get out of not only doing the job, but doing the job in a way that's aesthetically pleasing and um, seems, you know, like rigorous, clean, mm. um, efficient, um, elegant. elegant. Yes, that's a, that's very much a, a sort of word that crosses over between tech and art, you know, art, artistic things. Mm. Um, yeah, and I, I've definitely noticed that you can really burn the morale of an engineering team down by not allowing them to, to exercise the beauty of what they do and, and the um, the quality. You know, if you're asking them to do things quickly and take shortcuts and build up technical debt, then yes, I, I mean, that's that's like existentially, but it, it's, it like really weighs heavy on their souls, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they know that it's it's not solving the problem in the best possible way and it's going to come back later and there are going to be ongoing issues you know it feels good it's a short-term reward it's a bit like um, you know eating a, a fast food burger you know yes it serves the immediate need but you know there's always that post-burger guilt well I don't know about you but <laughs> <laughs> you know the, so the, 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 the post-burger post guilt or the post-deep fried guilt yeah. but you know yeah. knowing but, yeah. yes you served the immediate need but that's not to say that in any way that solution was good for you or is going to have ongoing long-term good effects and if you're asking people to do that every day you know every day I shall serve you serve you for dinner a battered deep fried burger you know maybe once or twice it'll it'll be all right but after day three you know for most people to be fair but you know you're going to be sick of uh, the thought of it um, yeah. be completely put off the idea of meal times yeah you know which is a hard thing to then say well this is your job and it's your job to yeah. eat that filthy deep fried burger every day yeah. So yeah. chow down buddy yeah um, <laughs> this is why I became a Michelin starred chef yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm here to to bring a, a joy and healthy food into the world yeah um I think we're probably about up on time more or less um let's just have a, a little think about uh, summing this up then so we've talked about deadlines um being often recommended as a way to manage the output and the work of the team 
Mm. Uh, we've also talked about it uh, being a bit of a blunt tool and having a number of drawbacks. Um, for example, it can change the way it can make your brain less good at um, uh, doing sort of creative and, and um, mm. uh, higher some more nuanced type of work. It can be perceived as a form of, of threat and cause stress for that reason. It can be, um, I don't know if I already said it's quite a blunt tool. Um, and then what to what to do instead is instead of making external, try to make it, sorry, instead of making it extrinsic, try to make it intrinsic, which means um, giving people a reason to care about the work they do. And, mm-hmm. and for that reason, making them, giving them better access to seeing the impact of it. Yeah. Also, um, allowing them to to demonstrate their craft, yeah. at least or at least have a balance because sometimes there is there does need to be a balance struck there, mm. um, not to sort of die, uh, drift into perfectionism. Um, and yeah. I think the one thing we didn't talk about, um, but maybe we can just mention it, is yeah. this sense of ownership and it. You know, you can't give people. Um, you can't give people responsibility, they have to accept responsibility. So I think if there's definitely something to be said for just not passing deadlines down to people, but asking them to suggest and making it part of a conversation. So at the end of it, they can say, yes, I'll get behind that. Rather I'm being than clear, yeah. I'm being clear that there's not a threat at the end of it, but actually focusing on the reward and the benefits and the positive side. Whilst it's not as motivating, it does still have a motivating effect and it's much more sustainable in the long term um, mm. you know any of the uh, more you know supportive companies so we, you talked earlier about finding or working in, in in ways that you can seek the you're aligned with the values or the the, the, the intentions of the company so companies like Patagonia um, you know have very clear value models um, if you combine that sense of value uh, you know, value delivery with that lack of threat, but focus on the positive outcomes of delivering on time and make that just a consistent focus. Yeah. And supply that along with the you know, focusing on the work that motivates people and letting them develop their craft. I think that's a, a, yeah. a beautiful way of motivating people and so much more sustainable. Yeah. 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 No, I think that's right. All right. So just to, to finish up, um, any recommendations in terms of reading? Um, the book that springs to mind for me, and I know we made a note of it to mention today, is a book called Drive by Dan Pink. That's mm-hmm. a classic, very well known, definitely yeah. worth a read, mm-hmm. easy read. Um, nothing, nothing to complain about with that book, it's a good one. Absolutely. Um, and there was, I think you had another, you had a second one to mention. Yeah, so um, so I've got, uh, for people who want to read a bit more about punishment and reward, I've got uh, Punished punished by Rewards by Alfie Cohn, uh, K-O-H-N, um, that, that talks about this, this idea of how we respond to the different stimulus in, in great detail. Um, and for anybody who wants to learn more about brain structure, um, mm. I highly recommend uh, Lisa Feldman Barrett's Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain. That's a fascinating, fascinating read. Um, or you can Google Dr. Dan Siegel and the brain in the hand, and that's a, a very quick and easy way of understanding how uh, your brain responds when you are under stress. How do you spell Siegel? It's uh, S-I-E-G-E-L. Yes, makes sense. 
all right well thanks kerry that was fun um i'll catch up on the next one can't wait to see what we're talking about next time great to talk to you alice all right bye-bye thanks for listening to this week's episode to find out more about the podcast or to send us questions you can visit our webpage at www.dta.co.uk you can also get in touch by email at hello at www.dta.co.uk or on our LinkedIn page. Links for all these places are in the show notes. And if you liked this podcast, please give us a five-star review and subscribe. See you next time. Bye.